0: Log Talk Radio.
1: I'm Marcia Joyner, host of Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, and our producer, Marty Oakley. They provide us with a forum to talk about the reality of what hospice has become over the past few decades. And on this show, we don't sugarcoat what's going on because we believe you, the listeners, have the right to know the truth before you are duped, as we were We value the sanctity of all life from conception through a natural death. And this show is about sharing our experiences with you and providing you red flags to look for to protect you and your loved ones from suffering the same fate that my mom and thousands of others that are dying each day at the hands of rogue hospice facilities. Hospice was originally created for the actively dying to help minimize pain, not to drug unsuspecting people into a coma and hasten their death with toxic drugs, starvation, and dehydration. And before we go further, I want to clarify that if somebody has end-stage cancer, kidney failure, they're actively dying and they cannot be treated with drugs or medical procedures, they are in pain, then I believe a small dose of morphine or another pain medication is appropriate. I don't think anybody should be in pain, but hospice uses a one-size-fits-all, and those that are not in pain are being given morphine more frequently and larger doses than would be needed to just minimize the pain if they were in pain. So we're not advocating that somebody should die in pain, but what we're saying is nobody should be drugged into a coma, starved, and dehydrated to a cruel, painful death, and this is occurring daily. And even if you have cancer or end-stage anything, you should be told honestly what the drug is going to do and provide written consent if that's what your choice is. It shouldn't be done to you. And if somebody is not actively dying, in my opinion, they shouldn't be enrolled. But today it has been watered down to somebody with COPD, dementia, CHF, going to the hospital three times in a year, having difficulty dressing or feeding yourselves, or if you're incontinent, you qualify. This criteria has caused a domino effect that almost anyone can qualify to be euthanized. It's happening in Canada, United Kingdom, and right here in the good old USA. So let's talk about how people are being tricked into believing that hospice is the answer and it's your only choice. Hospice staff are trained, literally, how to manipulate people into believing that they're there to help and they want to provide compassionate care, and they'll tell you whatever they think you want to hear. You don't have to go to the doctor's office anymore. You won't have to be checked in and out of the hospital. You need somebody to come by and provide sitter services or do light housekeeping or bring you meals, they'll do that. They'll tell you whatever you want to hear. If you want your loved one to continue to take their normal medication, they'll say, yep, we'll do that. But as many of our guests can attest to, that's not what happened. But it sounds so good and promising, and it's free, because Medicare and Medicaid will pay it. And you've heard this before. Nothing in life is free, and neither is this. You paid your whole life to be taken care of in your older years. If you recall, it was a contract between you and the government, and now you're ready to reap those benefits. But are you going to? For myself and my guest, this was the beginning of the end for their loved ones, and their death was hastened. They didn't provide compassionate care, and they didn't follow through with those promises, and our loved ones paid the ultimate price, their life. And if you were to ask hospice staff, what about what you told me initially that you were going to do? They say something like, I, I don't know who told you that. I, I didn't say that. We don't provide those services, smoke and mirrors. Why? Because it is cheaper to euthanize you than to treat you. You have outlived your usefulness and you've become a burden and you'll drain money from Medicare and Medicaid. We can't have that. There's a Facebook group called murdered by hospice why would such a group exist if many had not experienced the same worst nightmare of their life michelle young doers wrote a book titled killing for profit the dark side of hospice this book shows the fallacies and the lies that hospice staff will tell people just to get you to enroll She was a hospice respiratory therapist, and she saw the quotas. Yes, they have quotas. And she saw the treatment of hospital and hospice patients firsthand. Her refusal to accept this cruel, inhumane treatment cost her her job, but it didn't cost her her soul. I encourage you to check this book out for yourself. It's very informative. I had no idea it was worse than I had already suspected. So you might ask, what happens after your loved one is enrolled and why am I saying these things? In many cases, the patient starts to decline rapidly, and they all of a sudden become groggy. They stopped eating, drinking, and talking, and you have no clue what happened. So you may ask them, what's wrong with my loved one? Why are they doing this? And they hand you a pamphlet that shows you the signs that your loved one is exhibiting and they tell you it's the dying process. And since you see that these signs are happening, you believe that the person is actually dying, and you're sad about it, but you begin to accept it. Even though you're thinking they weren't just a few days ago, how did it happen so quickly? Was it because the hospice staff knew it was their time to die? No, they know that it's their time because they have started the death cocktail, which emulates the death dying symptoms, and now they are dying, but not from the disease. The drugs they typically use are morphine, Haldol, adivan, Seroquel, Fentanyl, and others. And you can Google these, and in fact I encourage you to Google these Um, I'll give you a website in a few minutes that will have them listed for you if you want to look that up. It's important that you know what the drugs are and that they don't just give them to them without explaining it to you, and they should have written consent, and I'll go over that several times tonight. But these drugs will cause depressed breathing, dizziness, nausea, alter their moods, cause anxiety, they can cause hallucinations, And as you see these symptoms, it becomes easier for the hospice staff to say, oh, they're anxious, we need to give them a little bit of Ativan or Haldol. Ativan is for anti-anxiety. Haldol is used for extreme mood disorders and has horrible, horrible side effects. They will tell you they're combative and they need something to calm them down or they say they're in pain. They need just a whisper of morphine. And they give them this, but here's the thing, they're lying to you. The drugs they're giving them cause anxiety. They cause depressed breathing. They cause them to be combative because sometimes they know something's wrong, the patient knows it, and they want to get out of there. But we have been so conditioned to accept that hospice is compassionate and so helpful And after all, my friend Betty Sue told me she had a wonderful experience and they were good when her mom was dying, and they even sent cards afterwards. And so we're conditioned to believe that hospice is compassionate. They're not. Does any of this sound familiar to you? I know it does to my guest. We've all seen and heard this before, so we nod our heads and we accept. We believe the fairy tales and the previous history. Do not be a victim to these lies. Everyone needs to be aware of the evils that are happening in front of us and protect your loved ones from literally being murdered. And not all hospices are bad. There are some that are pro life. We don't know how many there are or where they are, but there are some pro lives, but you must do your research. They are rarely compassionate, nor do they put your loved ones' needs ahead of convenience and the almighty dollar. Even nonprofit, and religious hospitals are big money-making conglomerates whose compassion is for money, not their patients. Oftentimes, if you are having in-home hospice, they will give you the same drugs. They give it to you in a comfort kit, and they tell you to use this, they have a headache, oh, let's give them morphine. If they're anxious, let's give them Ativan. It's the same drugs that they're using in the facilities, and it will hasten your loved one's death in the most cruel way. Don't become a victim to this. If you need help, there is an organization called Halo. Their website is Halo, H-A-L-O, voice, all one word, org, or they have a hotline you can call, which is 888-221-HALO, H-A-L-O, or for the number people, 4256. Or as I said earlier, you can Google the drugs. Each state has a right-to-life group, so Washington right-to-life, California right-to-life. You can contact them, and they will offer assistance or you can contact an ombudsman. These are options for you. Know the options before you get into that situation. If you gave a strong, healthy person the same drugs that they give our loved ones, the duration, the combination, and the amounts, that person would die, not from a disease, but because you overdosed them, you starved them, and you dehydrated them. So how is it not premeditated murder? It is. It's stealth euthanasia, and it is only going to get worse. The baby boomer generation is coming up now, and they need a place to put us. And hospice can get rid of us so that we're not taking more resources and using their money. I believe many of the elderly people in this China virus died with hospice assistance in many cases, they were called in because they're familiar with the process and they could help. I have no doubt how their help was, but toxicology reports were not done because they didn't suspect. They don't know what we know. But I bet you if they did toxicology, they would find many of these people had the same drugs that they gave my mom and our other guest The reason I do these shows and that I am so passionate about advocating for the elderly is that my mom was euthanized in Georgia in the summer of 2017, and my sister and I watched, stood by, tried to help her, tried to save her, and were powerless because they lied to us, and we, like everybody else, believed they must have been telling the truth, even though we suspected. Trust your instincts. If you believe something is wrong, chances are it is. Get your loved one out. Contact halovoice.org or Right to Life or Life Legal Defense Foundation. So also with the Halo site, they will have the information on the drugs. They have medical power of attorneys that you can look for samples in your state that can help you prepare one of those. But be careful who you give that to. Make sure that whoever you give your medical power of attorney to that they love you and they don't want to see you gone because that's very important. Um, Many of our guests have lost loved ones because the person who had power of attorney was ready to let that person go and helped hospice do it to them. So the Facebook group that I mentioned, Murdered by Hospice, We have people that come in each week that didn't know what we know, and it's too late to save them. We're very happy when someone comes on board and they ask the question, what can I do, and we have been able to save some people. So there is a way to do it, and people can be saved. You just have to know. Tonight I thought about The Fairy Tale by Hans Christian Andersen. The Emperor's New Clothes, and many of you have probably read this fairy tale for years. For those of you who have not, um, it's about two swindlers who sold the emperor clothes, and they said that the clothes would be invisible to stupid people. So nobody wanted to admit that he wasn't wearing clothes for fear of being considered stupid or reprisal. So they let him walk around in his underwear until a child, an innocent child, noticed it and spoke the truth. He didn't want to admit that he had been duped, so he continued on the parade, you know, walking around in his underwear. But the moral of the story is we can't let pride keep us from speaking up when we know the truth. And that's the same thing here. This is the truth. I have no reason to lie to you. It's not a happy tale. It's not a comfortable story. But it's important to try to save your loved one's life. That's what we do the, story, the stories for. That's why we have people on trying to warn people and trying to save a life one at a time. As our vulnerable and innocent loved ones are taken from us in the dead of night under the guise of hospice compassionate care, the government stands by and does nothing to stop these murders. Where is the justice? Looking at the word justice, It is Join Us Supporting the Innocent Called Elderly Tonight we will discuss another death by toxic drug, cocktails, starvation, and dehydration Our guest tonight is Terry Schwartz Moore Who will tell us about her dad Seymour Schwartz Who was 84 years old And while his story is a little bit unique in that Her dad had stage 4 kidney disease for years. He was taking medication, he was not on dialysis, and he was living a normal life. He was not told the truth, nor did he consent to be euthanized when he did go to the hospital. He died on November the 20th, 2019, almost one year from today. Terry, I am so sorry again for your loss, and I know how hard it is for the first year anniversary approaching, but I appreciate you coming on to tell us what happened in the hopes that his story may save just one person. So with that, I'd like to go ahead and open it up to you and let you tell us about your dad and what happened to him, and then I'd like to discuss the situation that you're having now with your precious mom.
2: Thank you, Marcia, so much for letting me share my story. Um, I guess I'll start um, where this nightmare began, um, which was July 28th of 2019. Um, both of my parents were at their home here in Denver. Um, he had gone to the store to get some things, and when he came home um, on his way into the house, he fell. Um, she found him on the driveway, and in her attempt to go and help him, um, my mother, she fell going out the house. She missed the step and cracked her head open. Um, I don't know how she did it, but she managed to get back into the house and call 911 um, and call my sister at the same time, who called me. Um, my niece had gotten over there before I did, and they had already had them ready to go to the hospital. Um, normally they would have taken them to, um, a different hospital, one that they go to all the time, but because my mother had a head injury, they made them go to a completely different hospital, and that was the beginning of the end as well. Um, I got the call that they were on their way to the hospital, and my niece came, picked me up, and we met them there, and we basically spent hours and hours in the emergency room, um, with both of them. Um, she ended up having uh, two bleeds in her brain and a concussion. Um, and he was in another room and had, you know, like a, a collar on his neck and he, you know, couldn't move or anything to tell he was, you know, really scared. And um, we're going back and forth between rooms. And, I mean, we were just there for hours and hours and hours. They had done a cat scan on him and um, couldn't find anything, but, um, you know, time just went on, and it got to the point where um, I, you know, needed to run home for a few minutes, so I left to go home and left my brother-in-law to sit and wait with them. And um, I got a call saying that they were going to release her with the concussion and two bleeds in her brain, which we found out there were two bleeds later. Um, but they decided at the last minute to keep him and put him in something called observation. Um, That was something that I had never heard about before, but at that point, you know, I thought it was better to at least keep one of them and to bring both of them home because I had, you know, no idea what we were going to do to get through the rest of the night anyways Um, because, you know, he wasn't up and he wasn't walking or anything like that, Um, you know. So I went ahead and I didn't really think much of it um, and went back and got her and um, got her home. And the next day, we went up there, and he was a completely different person. Um, he could no longer um, walk, speak clearly, or go to, or uh, was and was totally incontinent. Um, I just, you know, could not figure out. We couldn't figure out, you know, what had happened. I mean, we kept telling them, you know, did he have? it Asking him if they had, if he had had a stroke, because that's exactly what it seemed like. I mean, when he was in the ER, though, you know, he was still able to talk to me so but they kept saying you know no no he hadn't had a stroke or anything like that um but they were just going to you know keep him for a while well it got to the point where um you know i was waiting for them to decide you know to let him go what i wanted is for them to let him go to um, skilled nursing or you know rehab to you know try to rehab him and instead they told me that he didn't qualify for that and i just I couldn't believe what they were telling you. I had no idea what they were talking about. They kept saying, he just didn't qualify. And I said, how could he not qualify? I mean, based on those three things that I was just telling you, that he couldn't walk, talk, or was incontinent. And I basically fought them for 11 days. This is something that I don't know if many people know about, but if you're loved one ever goes or you're, you know, you're a senior person, on Medicare goes to a hospital, make sure when they're admitted to a hospital that they are put in there as an inpatient for at least three days or they will never qualify to go to skilled nursing facilities. And that was something that I learned the hard way, unfortunately. Um, You know, when I told this story to other people, I mean, they are all shocked that they were even allowed to keep him that long under observation because there was no reason why after the three days, that they could have just switched him to inpatient. It shouldn't have been that difficult. Um, but so anyways, we got to day 11, and, and right before day 11, actually, I filed, um, I tried to file like, kind of like a stay of execution type of thing, kind of like try to get it overturned so that we could get more time. Um, cause, I mean, that's what it felt like to me. Um, and I was, that was through Medicare, it was called Kepro, something like that, where you can, you know, file an appeal. And that uh, was turned yeah. down. Yep, that yep. was turned down. And then the next day I got a call saying, I bet that either I come and get him, or they will charge us for an ambulance to take him home to my mother, who still had the, you know, who just had this concussion, um, and these two bleeds in her brain, we later found out, and was starting the beginning stages of dementia, we later found out, um, to take care of him. And I was literally besides myself. And at that point, I felt like we had no choice but to go and get him. And I convinced my husband to go with me because there would be absolutely no way I could get him in the car. He still was not mobile. He was not able to ambulate at all. He could not walk. Um, he still, it was very hard to understand him. And he was still unconscious. Oh, and also, during the time he was in the hospital, they allowed him to sit in something called a condom catheter instead of putting a real catheter in. And I'll talk more about that later as to what happened because of that.
0: Um,
2: but anyways, my husband thankfully came. We went down to the hospital here in Denver. This was Denver Health, and it was it's supposed to be one of the best trauma hospitals here. I mean, that may be true for trauma, but not for this. Um, And my father was sitting outside the hospital front door in a wheelchair by himself in a T-shirt. I have no idea why they would have just done that. And I was looking around to see if somebody was with him, and I didn't see anyone at first. And when I got out of the car, all of a sudden somebody appeared, started walking towards me. And this person had just been wandering around, just letting him sit there by himself. And I got my phone out, and I started taking videos because I was just, I was literally appalled. I just didn't even believe it. And she started screaming at me to stop recording and that she was calling security. And all of a sudden, security showed up, and they said, oh, you can't do that here. You can't take videos and photos. And my husband started getting into it with the guy. And at that point, I just stopped recording. And, you know, I we were telling them, you know, this is ridiculous. This entire thing has just been a complete... Unbelievable nightmare. You can't even treat any anybody like this. And mm-hmm. at that point, you know, we got him into the backseat of the car, and I said to him, I said, "Daddy, you want me to take you to another hospital?" And he said, "No." He said he wanted to go home. So we took him home, and it took four of us just to get him in the house. Um, I have videos of that as well. Um, it's you know, yeah, there was there are two steps to get into my parents' house. I mean, it's not a lot of steps, but just those two steps was that difficult with this man in the house. And this is a man that they allowed to go home to release him. I mean, just unfathomable. Um, They told me that they had set up home health for him. That was the best that they could do. But unfortunately, home health couldn't even get there until the next day because his primary care physician was out of town. And they needed his primary care physician to um, execute the orders for home health. Found that out later, too. So I don't know how we got him through the night, but he did manage to make it through the night. The problem that happened during the night, though, or during that time, is he was still, um, my sister had left his medication for him to take as he usually would take it because you know, he used to take all his medications on his own, and he was okay doing that, but after this whole thing, I mean, he was not the same person, and I don't think my sister really realized that, and um, she made the mistake of allowing him to still take the medication that he used to be able to take on his own, and unfortunately, he took it wrong, Um, and when I got there the next day, I had finally gotten a hold of home health, and they weren't even going to come. They actually did it as a courtesy to me after they heard the story. And the um, nurse came over, and he was not right. You could tell he was sitting in the chair and we knew something was wrong and found out that he had taken way too many pills, um, you know, not purposely. He just he was that out of it. Um, and um, we ended up calling another ambulance, and this time we took him to the hospital that he usually goes to. Um, and when we got him there, I made sure to tell them, you know, this horrendous story of what had happened and to make sure that whatever they did, to put him in there as an inpatient. <laughs> and thankfully, they did. Um, we sat there for hours and hours in the ER, and that is when um, they put a catheter in him finally. Unfortunately, he was never able to get the catheter out again. But we also found out that because he was in that common catheter at the previous hospital, he had developed sepsis, and that was because they let him sit in his own urine for so long. So at this point, you know, we were. So still explain. With...
1: Okay, so go yes. back, um, because I didn't, when okay. you and I were talking earlier, I did not understand this either. But okay. the instead of putting in a regular catheter, they had him yes. in some kind of rubberized thing underneath yes. him. So that when he urinated, he just urinated on himself and was sitting in that, and right. that's what caused him to be septic to get septic.
2: Well, yeah, because I mean, if you sit in your well, uh, sure. urine for up, you're gonna get bacteria that's gonna go back up into your urethra and all that exactly. stuff. Exactly, exactly. I mean, and you know, I mean, it, it, and that's and that's what it is. I mean, technically, it's the condom. Condom The condom goes on, and then he's urinating right into that, and you're just sitting there. In your right. own urine unless he was, he unless he would have been able to call someone and immediately come and change it, but he couldn't And they do wouldn't that. have done that. Of course not.
1: I yeah. can't I just it listened to this and you know, you and I talked earlier, but just the fact that they would release this man who is still not talking, not walking and his incontinent right. and they put him in a wheelchair, leave him sitting out by right. the curb He's right. been here 11 days. Come get him or we're going to deliver right. him to your mom and leave him on the front
2: porch. It's like, who right. does that? I know. I know. Oh, and, and by the way, I remember um, I did, and I also called the Department of Health at that point to try to file a um, report against them, and I also talked to the um, patient advocate. I mean, I tried every avenue I could to get him the proper care that he needed because if he had gotten into that skilled nursing facility quickly, this whole story may be completely different, could have been completely right. different, you right. know. So that's where this, like I said, this is where this nightmare began. Um, but anyway, back to the second hospital. You know, they did put him in right the second time, and by then, like I said, we were dealing with the sepsis. They also kept him for a for a lot longer than three days because they were trying to make sure that this sepsis didn't go into his heart. I mean, that's just how bad it it was. It was going to get, you know, that they were trying to keep it from getting. Um, And so they kept him for probably another week to 10 days in the second hospital. And by then, he did qualify for skilled nursing. And so we went ahead and we put him in a skilled nursing facility. Uh, Medicare gave him his 20 days um, to be there. He was actually also had to go to skilled nursing by then because he was also on IV antibiotics. And, um, you know, there was no way my mother could do that at home. So, you know, not only that, he still had catheter in. Plus, the fact, he still Mm -hmm. couldn't walk, and we still couldn't, you know, we were still trying to get his speech back. Um, So he went to the um, skilled nursing facility, and he was there for the 20 days. And right about, you know, the end of his time there, you know, they started talking about wanting to keep him longer. But unfortunately, um, the 20 days was up, and at that point, we didn't have an option For Medicare to pay any longer. And unfortunately, their supplement didn't um, cover any of it either, which I never really understood. But so we really had no choice but to bring him home. Um, And once again, you know, our only option was home health, um, which, you know, we took because, I mean, we needed something. It still wasn't near enough. I mean, I went over there every day. I was helping my mom with the catheter. I mean, at this point, You know, I was still um, trying to help her as well because, like I said, you know, she was diagnosed with dementia shortly after, and she couldn't even remember how to do the catheter half the time or empty Mm -hmm. the bath half the time, you know. I mean, I I went over to the um, skilled nursing school and had them show me how to do it with her so at least I would be able to do it if she couldn't, like the videos and everything. And it was even hard for me. I mean, that first night that he got home, I was so nervous that I had screwed it up because they sent him home with um a leg bag, and then the, they wanted me to switch it to the they wanted us to switch it to a night bag, and I mean that is so complicated I mean, and I had videos and everything, and I still couldn't get it, and so we ended up having to call nine one one just to come out just to make sure we did it right
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I
2: mean, it was just crazy, and that was with me. You know, trying to remember. Can you imagine a woman with dementia? Exactly. I mean, just (laughs) totally insane that Medicare would allow a family member to do anything like that, especially one that had dementia. I mean, just insane to me.
1: What if she didn't have two daughters or if she didn't have a daughter who lived close by? They would have just sent him home in that state? Maybe. I don't know how they would have done that. I would imagine.
2: They probably would have. Yeah, they probably would have if I hadn't lived here. Probably. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, at that time, you know, I had gotten a power of attorney, medical power of attorney for him, and so I was, you know, controlling everything and um, doing as much as I could do. Um, But, you know, that was how it was. And so we were trying to do the best we could. I mean, every morning I'd get the phone call, you know, that she forgot how to do the catheter, (laughs) and Uh, my dad uh-huh. would, you know, be screaming at her. And, I mean, it was a terrible situation. I mean, never in a million years could she have, have been with her, ever. You know, it was just awful. But um, we managed some, You know, we managed. I was there every day numerous I mean, hours and hours during the day. I mean, it, we, we were get, trying to get through it. Um, and at the same time, I had to take him. Literally, the day he came home from the hospital, oh, not the hospital, sorry, not the hospital, from the skilled nursing facility, um, the next day I had to take him to a urology appointment because the skilled nursing facility couldn't get that done while he was there. God knows. I don't even know how that happened. But just getting him back out the front door to get into the car to take him to that appointment, he fell again. Just Gosh. going down that front step. I mean, this is how horrible this situation was. Um, but thankfully we were able to get my brother in law to help come and pick him up and get him into the car and, um, had a, got a wheelchair and got him up there and, to the urologist, and um, I basically got trapped in the room with him. That was a story there. But um, basically the urologist said, you know, his prostate is too large, and unless he has surgery, he's going to be with this catheter forever. Um, and he did not want any more surgery. I mean, he had stated many, many times he didn't want to have any surgeries, um, and he didn't want any life-saving procedures. I mean, he had said that very clearly many times. And he did not have dementia. Um, so, you know, he was clear. Um, so basically, that night, he was stuck with that catheter. So we got, you know, we, we basically, you know, were continuing to do what we were doing. But about five days later, he started getting sick with um, stomach issues. And I thought maybe it was a mistake with one of the medications because there was a medication he would come home with I had never seen before. Um, and was trying to get that all straightened out with the kidney doctor. And um, all of a sudden, he was just so sick, um, you know, with diarrhea and things, and stomach cramps and everything like that. And we had no choice but to take him back to the hospital again. Um, and this time, he was diagnosed with fetus. And he got the C. diff from um, the IV antibiotics that he was on to treat the sepsis. So he was once again in another hospital. So this is now the third hospitalization. And at this point, this is when the kidney doctor said to me, you know, she said, you know, you really should consider hospice because he had a stage four diagnosis of kidney disease. And he had had that for a, a long, long time. I mean, he had lived with for community for a long time, and I was always really surprised that he was functioning as well as he was with that. It was always super surprising to me. Um, but I said, really? And she said, yeah, you know, if you get hospice, you're going to get way more care than you would with um, home health. And at that point, I mean, I needed, we needed more care. I mean, it was imperative that we got more help for him. Um, and unfortunately, he couldn't afford to pay out of pocket because he had all these properties and they made them not qualify for Medicaid, um, which would have allowed us to get more help in the home for him. And he refused to sell anything. Um, and, you know, I mean, he couldn't sell anything quickly. But um, there was that loophole where they had too much on paper but not enough in their pocketbook. I mean, they were in that horrible, horrible hole. So um, at this point, you know, he's now in the third hospital. And, I mean, he was super sick from the C-diff. Um, and that's when hospice came in. And the hospice lady came in, and she wanted to have a meeting with us. And we went over to the hospital that night, you know, and she was telling us, you know, everything the hospice could give us. And, you know, at that point, I mean, I wasn't completely sold on it. Because it really didn't sound like that much more care than we were getting, but it was still more than we were getting. I mean, and at that point, that's what we really needed—was more care. Did um, she tell you, know,
1: you they would come like five days a week or? No, pre- no. Okay, mm-hmm. when did she tell no. you they offered you?
2: Um, I think she said, I think she said twice a week. But she said he would get a shower twice a week, and see, we weren't even able to get him that. Mm-hmm. Um, or did he get him that with home health? He was really—I mean, he—they he, we, were able to—they would give us a CNA, which would get us the shower, which is something we weren't getting, I think, with home health. And then they said, you know, he wouldn't have to go back to any more hospitals. Um, the food—he would get—he would get meals. Um, you know, what else did they say? Um, there was a few other things that he—that they said. But it, it made. I mean, the thing that really just made me make, and like I said, I wasn't, like, jumping for joy, you know, like, yay, this is the answer. It no. was just a better answer than home health. It was just a better option than home mm-hmm. health was. But did they follow enough. through? Did they
1: follow through with what they said they were going to
2: do? Well, like did I was he get telling you, I mean, Well, yes, he did. But, I mean, we had issues with that because, um they weren't showing up at on the times that they were supposed to come and then he he was being very difficult at one point i mean you know he only wanted a shower in the mornings. He wouldn't take a shower in the afternoons i mean you know we had, I had to deal with that with him to get him to be more flexible but um like i said i mean we did we actually did have a good nurse a home nurse that when we when we were at home i mean she was pretty good the only problem is is that I was only able to contact her Monday through Friday, and after 5 o'clock, she was off the clock. So anything after that went straight to the call center. And we would have, who knows who we would have, you know. And um, there were many times when they didn't even answer the phone. I mean, we would be on hold, like eternal hold, for the longest time. And it was very concerning to all of us. I mean, my mother, father, and I that, God forbid, I mean, something really seriously was happening, I mean, then what? You know, because, I mean, it was also told to us that you would have 24-7 care, you know, uh, or you would at least have access to it.
1: They did say that, so, 24-7 care?
2: You would have access to help, yeah, 24-7. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but like I said, I mean, his home nurse was, was good. I had, I had a really good relationship with her. I could, could find her when she was available. I could text with her. But unfortunately, like I said, when she wasn't available, it was horrible. Like we had one weekend where the catheter kink, and my mother called me and told me it was leaking. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense because I had just been there, and I said, well, let's just call and have somebody come out and look at it. And literally it took the entire day and phone call after phone call between me and my mother and my father um, to try to get somebody to finally show up. I mean, and it wasn't until we, I mean, they started calling at 7, 8 in the morning and nobody showed up till 5 at night, and that thing was, like, leaking everywhere. And it was something super simple in the end, but, I mean, still. You're I mean, not you medical don't people. To, yeah, and, I mean, but still, you don't want to have to worry, what if it was something more serious than that, you know? I mean, that was bad enough. But to keep a person on hospice, on, on hospice waiting that long was just crazy. Um, you know, and the other thing that I found really odd was this comfort kit that they had brought, uh, they had asked to have sent to the house. And at that point I told them to send it to my sister because she was the one that was doing medication. And I really had no idea what was in that until later, um, you know, knowing what I know now. Um, right. I just, you know, I'll get into that later. But But you never um, gave him any of that, right? No, God no. Right, Mm -hmm. right. I mean, that was given to my sister. And to be honest with you, that was never really fully very well. It was not explained very well at all. It was never explained. It was just called a comfort kit. And that was it. So, yeah, no, we didn't. But, um, you know, things continued to go on, and like I said, we were actually thinking of switching to a different hospice during that time because of, you know, how hard it was to get a hold of these people. Um, Also, the other thing was is that um, they weren't doing any blood work and stuff like that, and I I didn't understand that, you know, because I was like, I was never told that you weren't going to continue to monitor him, you know, because he was still on all these medications that he had been taking before. And, um, you know, we got into that about, you know, well, why, I said, why aren't you guys going to do blood work? And they're like, oh, well, we don't normally do that.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was something
2: else I wasn't uh, made aware of at that point, you know. Um, And at that point, my father also wanted to continue seeing all of his specialists. And, you know, they were like, well, you don't need to do that, you know, because it was like, you know, first of all, I mean, once again, I mean just getting him out of the house. I couldn't get him out of the house. I mean, it terrified me to have to move him and because we still couldn't get him off out of the front out the front door without falling. I mean that was like one of the biggest problems. But um so basically like I said, I mean we were getting the nurse twice a week, we were getting the CNA twice a week. Um they had the I don't even know if the chaplain ever came to see him or not. He might have called him. Um and then they called and they wanted, me to be, wanted to know if he wanted, like, a companion or somebody to come and talk with him, you know, to be a friend. And that didn't last very long at all. I mean, that was, like, one time my dad didn't like to die at all. So that, that didn't work out. And at the same time, my mother was continuing to get worse mentally. And um, the two of them being together 24-7 was a terrible, terrible situation. Um, we had a social worker. And the first one was Okay. But she left, of course. And then the next one I got totally worthless. I mean, completely worthless. Um, so you know, I mean, I didn't feel like I was getting a whole. We were getting a whole lot of support besides, you know, just what the nurse was giving us twice a week, really, at that point. Um, but you know, it was kind of, you know, he he started to decline again. And I mean, you know, I think we put him on the hospice, probably, in, September, I think it was, because I think he spent most of his, most of August in the skilled nursing, and then in September, um, September, October, we got him through that, and then it was November when things started to kind of go downhill, Um, and it was one Saturday, um, he started, he fell, he was actually okay, I mean, he was fine, I mean, like, not fine, but I mean, he was okay, I mean, I had been over there, I would go over there every day, like I said, numerous hours, I was bringing him food and feeding him and everything and um he was okay when i was there and then all of a sudden i got a call that he fell and um once again you know they called we called the number to have somebody come out and it took a while again and um they finally came out and they said you know well we should probably just set up a hospital bed and just put him in the living room and my parents were like absolutely not you know we don't want that Um, So they said, well, then, you know, let me just help him get into bed. And so they put him in the bed, and they left. And I was just terrified you know what was going to happen in the morning, um, if we were going to be able to get him out of the bed, or what was going to happen. And surprisingly, he got himself up the next morning. And he made it out to the kitchen into the refrigerator, and he fell again. And at that point, my mom and my my dad said, I'm going to the hospital. And I said, okay, that's fine. And they called an ambulance and had him taken back to the hospital, the one, like I they said, they normally go to. And he was in a lot of pain. And he obviously had hurt his back, I think, and he fell. And they had sent a hospice person over to meet us there. Um, and in the meantime, they had taken x-rays and they had done um, a CAT scan. they couldn't do an MRI because he had a pacemaker. Um, so he was never able to have an MRI. And um, they couldn't really find anything. And when the hospice person got there, she said, um, I think we should just take him to the care facility and try and get his pain under control. But it will just be temporary. And I, I, you know, I can remember that clear as day, what she said. And at that point, you know, I said, well, what are our options? And they said, well, you know, you can take him out of the hospice and they can... Admit him we can do more tests, or you know, that you can take this other option. At that point, I asked him, I said, You know, did he? I told him, I mean, he, he was clear enough that he knew what his options were. And he said, Okay, I'll go to the care facilities, you know, because at that point, he was still saying, I don't want any invasive treatments, I don't want any surgery, um, or any life saving measures, you know. So at that point, I Thought okay, let's just take him over there. Like they said, it'll be temporary. They'll get his pain under control, and then I guess we'll just pull back, take them home, and we'll start all over again. So I um, left there, and they said, you know, they would get a transport to get him over. And I was on, you know, my mom was with me because she, had, I, I brought her to the hospital when we had taken him over. So I had to take her home. And on the way over there, they call, take her home. They called me and said I needed to bring his medication to the care center. And the care center is only five minutes away from where I live. So it was really close. And I've driven by this place a million times, never in a million years. But I think I would end up, somebody end up there like this. But um, anyway.
1: So now this so I was, just, let me step you back a second. This is now okay. the
2: 17th of November? Right. Is that right? Yes. This was, okay. Yes, this was the 17th, yeah. Okay. So I went to take her home. I got the medications. I Stopped over at the care center on my way home to drop him off, and you know he was still taking his medications in pill and cups. My sister had been doing them for both my parents, and was doing an AM and PM and putting them in cups, so then they would only have to take one cup of pills and not have to, you know, go through a pill box or anything like that. Um, and when I got there, they said, "Oh no, we can't use these. They have to all be in the original bottles." So, oh my God. So, and he wasn't there yet. They hadn't gotten him there yet. So I went over to my sister's and I got all the pill bottles and I took him back and he still wasn't there. So I went home and I waited, you know, a little while longer and I called to see if he got there safely and they said he did and I asked how he was and they said he was doing okay and they were giving him some pain medicine. And I I don't even remember what it was, but um, it wasn't anything that set up a red cloud at the time. So I said, okay, well, we'll be over there later on because by then I had a mind and I had to go get myself together. So um, we went over, I went back, got my mom, and we went over there later that night, and I literally felt like we had gone completely backwards to that first hospital that he was taken to where, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't walk and he couldn't talk and he was incontinent again. And the other thing that I noticed, I think I forgot to mention this in the first hospital, um, when I when he was in the first hospital, he couldn't even sit up in the bed. I mean, he was always slumping over.
0: I mean, mm-hmm.
2: and this is exactly how he was again when I walked into this room at the hospital. It was like he had just gone all the way rewinded all the way back. Um, but he was eating, and I mean, my father, food to him was his life. I mean, as long as he was eating you know, you knew he was alive, you know, it's like, we mm-hmm. always thought, you know, when he stopped eating, we would know it was small. um, but he was still eating, unfortunately he was having trouble getting the food on the fork, so I had to help him with that, and um, you know, I mean, it was a nice room, I mean, it this place kind of looked like a hotel, it was one of those high-end, um, care centers type of places, and, um, he had always complained in the previous places, some of the previous places about the television. That was
0: another thing that was
2: very important to him. When he was in the field nursing, he had the tiniest little television, and I never heard the end of that. Um, But this place had huge white-screen TV, and he had food in front of him. And I thought, and I said, oh, I said, are you happy here? You know, thinking he would be happy because he had his favorite things, you know. But he wasn't. And... I thought that was so odd because I mean normally he always would prefer to be in a hosp- in a, a hospital that he likes, like the hospital he usually went to. He loved that place, or just anywhere that gave him food and a tele- and a good television, you know. But mm-hmm, he right. and he and he even said to my mom, he had said to me, I couldn't understand him because we were back to that again. Um, and I said, what did he say? And she said, he wants to go home. Get me out of here. He wants to go home. And I was like, God, that's so odd, you know, because, I mean, this was the kind of place you think he would really have liked. I mean, not not because it was a hospice. I'm just saying just the way it looks. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so the nurse came in, and she gave me this form, and my mother this form to sign, and she said, I just want you to look at this form, and I want you to sign it because you know this is only temporary, this is only to get his pain, once again, this is what they said, this is only to get his pain under control. You are going to need to find another place for him to go after this. And I remember that clear as day to mm-hmm. um, And so, you know, when we left there that night, in my head, it was like, you know, oh, God, what are we going to do after this, you know? Because I was thinking, if he can't walk and he can't talk and he's in contact, well, he had the catheter in, so that was okay. But, I mean, if he's still that immobile, what are we going to do, you know? So in the back of my mind, I was trying to figure out what our next steps were, where we were going to put him next. And um, we got through the night, and then the next morning, Um, I was waiting for an update, and at the same time, my mother, um, my daughter had taken my mom to get an x-ray of her arm. And in between this time, uh, when they were back at home, my mother had fallen fallen asleep, I think, while sitting on the edge of the bed and fell off and broke her elbow. I didn't know it was broke at the time. But, you know, we just happened to have some time that day to go and get the x-ray done. And so that's where they were. And I was here at home waiting for the call from the hospital to get the update. And all of a sudden, I get a call, and they tell me that he got agitated. He was combat somehow. He was combative, and they had to give him a combination of all and ativan. That he was a danger to himself, and that he could no longer speak or swallow. And I literally about died myself right there because. Never in a million years would I ever expect to do that because, first of all, my father was never combative. He was the complete opposite of that. Um, and I lived five minutes away from this place. So mm-hmm. I, it was beyond me why they didn't call me immediately.
0: Right, To either exactly. have to
2: get on the phone with him and try and calm him or to get over there because I could have been there in less than five minutes. And that was literally the beginning of the end. I mean, I had no idea it was as bad as it was, but, you know, like you said, my mother and my daughter were out, and I had to break the news to them and tell my sister, and by the time we got over there, he was completely, um, it was like he was almost poni-toked. Like, he was laying flat in the bed, and... Probably with his mouth open. Yes, with his mouth open. You're right, his mm-hmm. mouth. is mm-hmm. hanging open, halfway yes, open. Exactly. Right.
1: Exactly. Yep. And this
2: my mother w- when go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just saying and my mother, you know, she went up to the bed next to the bed and she grabbed his hand and he opened his eyes and I will never forget the the fear I saw in his eyes. I will never forget it. Because um, he couldn't speak and I'll just it'll that will haunt me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, you know, I started questioning everything. I mean, I was just like, "What in the world happened? I mean, how could this happen? I just, I don't understand." I mean, I left him the night before, and I just, I just couldn't understand it, you know. And of course, the nurse was trying to explain things, but not in a very, easy, in a very easy to understandable way. I mean, I just she was lying through her teeth, anyway, Terry. Well, of course, course. I mean, I just couldn't believe this is how a person's life ends. You know what I mean? It just, it just didn't make any sense to me. But of course, then she started with the, well, this is just how it goes, you know. Because I said, well, why doesn't he have an IV? Or, you know, why aren't you giving him fluids and you know things like that. And then I started getting the talk about how oh you know you can't give him fluids because then that makes it worse. They'll aspirate. Right? Yeah. And that's when I found out that they gave him uh, phenobarbital. That's what they had him on. And I mm-hmm. couldn't understand why would they put him on that? Of all things, it just it's didn't make any sense, you know. Um, but it was because just, you don't understand. All-
1: you know it doesn't it doesn't make sense to us because we're trying to comprehend rationally what they were supposed to be doing. They were going to minimize his pain. they were getting his pain under control, and now he's in a coma, laying there, not being able to speak, to swallow, to think his eyes are opened, but he cannot speak to you. You can see the terror on him. And he clearly, you know, when I'm listening to you, and I know you and I have talked several times, but those are, for any of the listeners, these are warning signs. The fact that Seymour said, get me out of here, I want to go home now. He initially stated he wanted to go there. He was there. He was given food. He had a big TV screen, which... Terry figured he would be happy because those were things that made him happy, but his instinct told him this was a bad place to be He'll be out of here. And when he says that to you, of course – you're reeling because you're thinking, you know, I don't know how to take care of him. He can't walk. Exactly. He can't talk. He's incontinent. What are we going to do? You know, my mom has right. dementia. And they count right. on this because your fear is what? how am I going to take care of him? But they're telling you he's going to be here temporarily. You can take him home. We're just going to minimize the pain. Oh, he was combative and he was anxious, so we gave him Haldol and Ativan. Again, yeah. Like I was mentioned, the Addavant is for anxiety. Halda is for bipolar. It's oh, for mood disorders. Oh, so. It's a horrible, I, if, horrible if drug.
2: I, oh, I know it is. And I always knew about that drug. And I, if I had known that's what they were going to give him, I never would have allowed it. Ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they're not going to ask
1: you because they're oh, not asking no, for I, consent. Right. Their entire reason is to euthanize him and right. and as you and I've talked, he had end stage four kidney disease, but he had been under medication. If the disease had and he went to a urologist, if the disease had progressed to the point that the urologist had said, you know, your dad's only got a week or a month to live or, you know, maybe three months, then Tell the family the truth, if if that was what it was. But in any case, you do not have the right to give this man Phenobarbital,
0: right.
1: Haldol, and Ativan and to torture this man because right. you have made the decision that it's time for him to die. Who right. are these Evil people
2: Exactly Exactly. Who are they? What
1: right do they have to kill our loved ones? And this is what is happening It's, you know All of the stories are unique But all of the stories are the same Maybe it's different drugs Maybe it's a different disease But the fact of the matter is It is stealth. Euthanasia, premeditated murder, that hospice facilities have been given the go ahead to euthanize our people because it's cheaper to get rid of them than it is to treat them for anything and that's patients that have dementia, they will now just let them die because they don't know any better how to pick up a spoon and eat or they don't know when they're thirsty. And so then to them they say, well, if you know, the food's there. If they don't eat it, they don't eat it. They, we don't treat people like this. This is not right. humanity. This is not who we should be, but it is what people have become, and hospice is out of their lane they were meant yes. for people who are actively dying to minimize the pain, right. not to put them into a coma. Yeah.
2: I completely agree. I get very is. passionate no, no, about no. this and no, angry. I, you are not, but, you're not saying anything that I wouldn't say myself knowing what I know now. You're, you're yeah. speaking exactly what I, you're speaking my language. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, so, like, and also at that point, um, I was, you know, at that point I was like, I was like, I need, I don't know what to do. I need help. I mean, and all of a sudden the social worker appeared. The social worker who I had been asking for, for literally since when you went in there, I was asking for a social worker, and she never appeared. But then all of a sudden she appeared, and then she tried to be helpful and try to help talk us through it. But a flight, and then like you said, we got the book, the pamphlet. That's how yes. she was helpful. She gave us yes. the, the book. Yeah. That's Which how she shows was you trying to
1: signs of dying that they are creating.
2: Yes. 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 And it was it was insane to me that this they gave me a book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't even believe it. Um, and she disappeared shortly after that, by the way. Um, you know, when I went back the next day, um, you know, she was nowhere to be found. So And, you know, and I had gotten all these promises like, oh, we're going to be there for you. We're going to help you through this. And I was literally begging for support and for help because I couldn't figure out how this could be. I was still wrestling with how could this have happen? Right, I mean, in this short a time. Be, how could this be how death is? Because I'd never witnessed anything like this, you know. I mean, when my grandparents right. passed away, I wasn't there, and I never heard stories like this, ever.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. I mean, this is not how I ever expected death to be, nor am I ever going to believe this is how it should be, you know? Because exactly, it, it, exactly. It, it shouldn't, you know? No. So I continued to press. I continued to ask questions, and, and I, you know, got to the point where I said, I want to talk to the doctor. I'm like, you know, this, this is not right. This, this cannot be right and um they just kept you know giving him more and more phenobarbital mm-hmm. and i said you know well, what about us just stopping it you know and taking him off some of these drugs and getting him some IV, anab- IV um fluids you know
1: and they're exactly. like oh no
2: it's too late for that that would just make things worse you know you don't want because him to because it suffer. might
1: prolong his
2: life he might live right. and, and, I mean, and I don't how about him, and, yeah and then how they about said give him Narcon? To- well, I didn't hear about that one, but who knows?
1: I mean, well, they no, said, but, I mean, Narcon would reverse, you oh, know, like okay, for yeah. heroin and and stuff. Narcon yeah. would reverse it, yeah. but their point is not to save him. Their point is to murder him. That that's well, what they're uh, doing. That's what they do. Yeah. And they told, and I think you and I talked, but they with my mom, they did the same thing. This was only temporary. Yeah. She would only oh, be there for a couple it's, of days while my dad got rest. And then she would come home, but immediately when she was there, they started giving her um, morphine, adivan and 100 micrograms of fentanyl.
2: Yeah. It's intentional. I know. I, I know. I heard your when I was listening to your story, it was like it was, it was was I was reliving it all over again. I mean, just yes. in a little bit different drugs, but it was the same thing. Right.
0: It's I the mean, same thing, and that's
2: what we all say. At the same time.
1: I know. How can we all be wrong? How can we across... The country, you know, my mom was mm-hmm. in Georgia, you're in Colorado, and across yeah. the entire country in all different states, we tell the same story.
2: The right. same story. It
1: changes a little, tweaked different here and there. We're not right. all delusional.
2: Oh, I know. Oh, I know. That's what and the I listeners mean, you know, need
1: to hear. This is no, reality. No,
2: but, but like I told you, I mean, here I was, you know, and, and I mean, he... Struggled like that for at least two days, um, and at that point, I just wanted him to pass. I, to me, I just wanted him to just not struggle, you know. Because to right. me, he was he yeah. was struggling. He, to me, he was trapped in his own body, and he couldn't get he couldn't right. out. And to me, that right. that just killed me. It literally just killed me. Um, and so I was doing everything I could to try to find a way, because, I mean, they were telling me there was no way he was coming back. So I finally had to, you know, uh, had to let that part go and say, okay, if he's not coming back, I have to find a way to get him to get to peace quicker, because I mm-hmm. just needed him to be at peace, because that was not peaceful in any way, shape, or form. No, that's um, not peaceful. So are right. So what I turned to is I turned to the clergy, you know, in some hope that somehow I could find a way to get God to take him. I mean, and, you know, I mean, I'm not that much of a religious person, but, I mean, I have, you know, I do believe in God, and at that point that's what I was grasping at. And even that, that failed me because, I mean, you know, the clergy finally got on the phone with me, but, I mean, you know, he wasn't all that helpful either, and I had to beg him to go into that room and give him permission to tell him to go. You know, that he could mm-hmm. he could pass. It was okay, you know, just be free, you know. I don't want him to suffer anymore. And you know, and he he did say one thing to me, and he just was like he said, you know, no two deaths are alike, like no two births are alike and I was like, Yeah, I mean that does make sense but at the same time I need this to be over. I mean, because this is not a humane way for anybody to die. No. I mean no. animals are put to sleep in a better way than that. Exactly. You know? I mean, my God, this is not humane. This is the complete opposite. And, um, you know, I was literally on the phone. He had just gone in, and and I guess we told him, you know, that he could go. And and then I got on the phone with somebody from another church that I had visited over the summer. Um, My daughter and I had gone to Blessing of the Animals, and I met this pastor over there, and um, I remembered how kind she was to us that day. And so I reached out to her, and somehow she, answer, she answered the phone that day. I don't know. Usually, you know, I would think it would go to a voicemail, but she answered. And I told her what was going on, and she was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go over there right now. And I said, oh, no, no, you don't have to do that. And she said, no, no, I'm going to go. And I said, okay, I mean, that would be wonderful. And not more than five minutes after I hung up that phone, I got a call from the hospice. That said he passed and I was like I mean as devastated as I was for the way right. he passed I was mm-hmm. relieved mm-hmm. that he was finally gone that he could yeah. be at peace be, yeah but finally I mean, yeah I, I, I mean I literally i I wrestled with I've wrestled with this for a year you know I mean and I mean it's like I told you Marsha, it's like I went to every forum I could. I scoured the internet. I kept saying this was not right. This is. This should never have happened. You know. And but had you known,
1: I, had you known about like, um, Right to Life, Colorado Right to Life, or yes. Life Legal Defense Foundation, yes. or Halo Voice, you know, yes. or, or any of these, then yeah. maybe the knowledge. You, you know, yes. you would have seen those red flags, yes. and you would have yes. gone, "Oh hell no!" We're, we're yes. pulling him out. But we're I taking have... the hospital. We're not signing him up for hospice under any circumstances right. because you people are evil.
2: But I had nothing. Yeah. I had no support. I had no support from the beginning. No. It started with what Medicare did by putting him in that damn observation, which never should have happened. Right. You know. I mean, it. it the way it started is the way it ended. You know, it just awful. awful. Um, but, I mean, like I said, I mean, and, and then on top of that, I mean, after he finally passed, I mean, I wrestled, I wasn't there when he passed. I mean, um, I, you know, he passed while I was not there. And um, I wrestled with, you know, should I go back and see him one more time or should I not? And ultimately, I decided to go because I wanted to make sure that I could see him at peace.
0: hmm
2: and I did that.
0: Because
1: well, I it, it. and I understand what you're saying because I've always said that I do not want to see anybody after they're not breathing because I just don't. I want to remember them as they are. Yeah, but yeah and I and the, I totally get that. I totally
2: but I couldn't remember
1: my I, mother laying there in the coma with her mouth open like that yeah, and struggling, yeah. and that you know, like you say, the horror of knowing that you're being murdered, and I, right. I couldn't help her, and I couldn't live with that either. So
0: right. as much right. as
1: I never wanted to see her not breathing and alive, I had right. to force myself to go see to her. You did the same thing. You did the yes, same I thing. I did. I did the same thing. Yeah.
2: And yeah. I've always I ne- said I
1: would never do that, And I but said that I did. too.
2: I said the same thing. Mm-hmm. I said the same thing. I yeah. never in a million years thought I would want to see somebody like that. Right. And I, I knew I, I just knew I had to because I had to see him at peace. I couldn't have that vision in my head of him struggling. I just couldn't. Same thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's I'm amazing, scary.
1: That is the yeah. same way I felt about my mom. Yeah, that's amazing. I yeah. couldn't see her, and yeah. it didn't. You know, did it help? No, because now I have that image yeah. in my head, and um, you yeah. know, you you want to. You just want it to be natural. You want their.
2: I of course.
1: You know, my today is my dad's 93rd birthday. Oh, my and, God, my happy birthday. Yes, thank you. And, you know, and he's he and I have talked about this because, you know, he misses my mom. And right. I'm prepared when God says it's time for him to go. And I want him to go right. in his sleep. I want him to have a good day, go in his right. sleep. And I will be sad and I will yes. miss him because he lives I with agree. us. But... I'll know it was God's time, and I'll know that's that he right. was with my mom, and he
2: wasn't right. murdered. I agree. And he'll never be God. murdered. I know. And that's how I hope. I pray to God. That's how my mother goes. I pray to God. Yeah. You know. So
1: let's talk let's, about, let's, let's let's go there. Let's talk about your yeah. mom. Yeah. Um, because Carrie is also now dealing with her mother who has dementia, and yeah. they have given her the option of hospice again, and uh, she's in a memory care because there is no other option, but Terry is, knowing what she knows about her dad, she is on top of this, no drugs, absolutely not, you know, and and she's been, you know, working with, you know, Life Legal Defense and, um, you know, an ombudsman that we've had on our show before, Barbara Page, so... yeah. Tell us how that's
2: going for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, I never thought in a million years. I mean, I, after what happened to him, I said I would never, ever use a hospice again. But, um, you know, like I said, when I when I went out and I saw all these people, um, when I was trying to, you know, see if what happened to him was, was normal, or not, not normal, but, you know, I kept going to all these groups and I was saying, you know, I had this whole, I told. I was telling this story, and I was saying, "Did anybody else have this happen to them?" And most people were saying, "No, we had this. We had a great experience with hospice." And I was like, "Really?" And I was like, I thought to myself, "Oh my god! I mean, maybe it was just my bad luck, you know?" Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I mean, I ended up meeting. Well, I ended up finding you guys knowing that I wasn't alone, that this wasn't an isolated incident, that this does happen, and this is not right. Um, but I only found this out because of my mother, um, you know, like it's, like you were saying, she continued to decline um, with the dementia, and then because of that, when she broke her elbow right before my father died, it never healed correctly, and she would continue to bump it, and every time she would bump it, the bursa would fill up with fluid. And it got to the point in the spring of this year, in May of this year, that she had bumped it um, for the upteenth time, but this time, a hematoma formed underneath the skin, and it busted open. And that was the beginning of her horrendous nightmare. Um, she has now been hospitalized four times this year for sepsis in her elbow every hospital she's been in has made a huge mistake um you know i tried to keep her home as long as i could i kept her home you know for over a year and a half and by the uh, third hospitalization uh she could no longer she couldn't walk um she ended up getting c-diff as well because we had her on IV antibiotics um for the sepsis so she got c-diff as well and then she couldn't walk anymore um by herself, and she was also incontinent from, you know, the C. Diff and then, you know, just from the dementia. It just, I mean, all these infections have just um, made the dementia so much worse that I had no choice but to put her in a skilled nursing facility, and she is no longer able to be home 24, she can't be home alone. She has to have 24-7 care, and we cannot afford that. And she needs way more care than I can give her by myself. So I had to make the hard decision to put her in memory care. And she just um, recently ended up in the hospital again for the elbow. Uh, not for the elbow, I'm sorry. She did not go in for the elbow. She went in this time for pancreatitis. And in the process, or in the meantime, the elbow got infected again. The elbow was actually looking way better when she, got, when she went in there somehow it got affected again while she was in there and they convinced my mother to have surgery without my consent and massacred her arms. And at that point I just came back into the picture. And believe me, it was not my first choice. I was it was not something that I was, you know, actively seeking, especially after what happened with my dad. But I mean, once again, Our options are super limited. And, um, you know, like you said, Marge, I mean, I'm doing everything I can with what I learned from him, unfortunately, in a terrible way, to try to keep this from happening again. And it's a struggle every day.
1: And your mom, because she does have the dementia, um, she goes from being very passive and calm to being yeah. very, very angry, angry and very demanding. Right. Um, right. But you've been able I to mean, keep them from giving her um, right. any antipsychotic yeah. drugs. Yes.
2: Yeah, so far, um, you know, I mean, the one thing about the memory care that I have her in, they were very against hospice in the beginning. Um, they didn't want. They didn't want her to have it at all. Um, And the only reason I had brought it up was because, once again, more care. I mean, that's the thing that Medicare will pay more for. But at the same time, the outcome isn't the outcome that you necessarily want because you're limited, you know? Right, right. So, but, I mean, home health, we were only getting a nurse twice a week, and now we're getting a wound care nurse five days a week. Um, You know, so, you know, now I'm having to fight that whole thing, you know, to make sure that um, she's not given anything that she shouldn't be. I mean, I've already had to tell them, you know, not to give her certain things. But, I mean, the saving grace hopefully is with this memory care because, you know, they're overseeing it as well. They're very against those kind of drugs. And, um, you know, they wouldn't even give her her migraine medication without calling so, me um, first. That's good. I just hope, I mean, I just hope that God that they continue to have my back on that. Um, but, I mean, you know, my hands are tied in just so many ways because of our choices, you know? Right. Just and that's no—that's not right. There should be else.
1: more health choices for yeah. our elderly than, than to say, okay, well, then we're just going to put them in hospice. What?
2: Exactly, exactly. And your mom exactly. is
1: 76. So we're not yep. talking about, you know and i mean you know not that your dad 84 deserved to die he did not no um, but your mom is 76 so right. she's
2: not that old <laughs> no she, she's not and that I mean, age I, I mean i know i know that the dementia is not going to get worse the dementia is going not going to get better the dementia is going to continue to get worse but right. he still deserves to have a good quality of life For whatever time she has left, you know exactly. And I just, whatever time that is, I just want her to go out in a in a way better way than he. I cannot allow that to happen again. You know, I will do everything in my power not to allow that to happen again. Right,
1: right. And it now have they limited the amount of time that she can be there?
2: Um, on hospice yes in the uh, in yeah, the well, memory care she, facility oh well she can stay in the memory care facility as long as I can pay for it I mean that's why I have to sell all these properties you know I mean okay it's so that cheap. you're
1: paying okay so you're out paying of out of pocket for her to stay in yep. the memory care facility yep. and then yeah. hospice comes in Yes. And they give her more care than she would get right. if she was just in the memory care because they're not going to right. come in and change the wound, her elbow right. and stuff. Right.
2: Right. Right. Well, hey, I mean, you're in, just, I mean you're
1: in a bad situation, Terry. It's oh I yeah. Mean, it's
2: a horrible situation. There's a no. There is no good answer here. That's the problem. I mean, because if Medicare would pay for custodial help at home, she could be in her own home right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I could be there with her whenever I wanted to. I mean, the memory care has totally locked me out right now because of right, the COVID, because of the, you know? because of China and whole, Right, and that's a whole another problem that I have to deal with, you know? Right. That makes things so much harder, you know? It's just, and the communication is terrible. I mean, trying to get everybody on the same flipping page, I mean, it's just, it's excruciating. And it, that should not be that difficult
1: it should not. Mm-hmm. And to add further, just for our, for our listeners who are listening, to tell you what Terry's going through, in addition to that, and I don't think you mind me talking about this, but no. in addition to that, her, she's trying to sell one of her dad's rental properties so that she yeah. can continue to keep her mom her in the memory care. And she, they had a situation with a squatter who would not leave the home, and he's been there for months. And the, the, actually, the yep. whole family, and yep. she's you know tried to get the police involved to get I, him out, and he leaves, and he comes yep. back, and had left. to
2: hire a lawyer. Had to hire yes, a lawyer. I, had to go to court.
1: And he and left everything just, there, and then she today had to clean yep. everything out
2: and yep. pay. Yep, I just lost an entire month of memory care cleaning up their crap. I am right. it was literally like an episode of quarters. It's like, what was. kind of people do this? That's the question. They had plenty of notice to find another place. This should have been done months ago, and instead, it's just one more problem added to right. the, to so what the you're already
1: meeting. dealing with. Yeah. And I mean, my heart goes out for you, Terry, yeah. because well, you you. <laughs> you have so much on your plate, and
0: oh, you know, you're it's, trying it's to a-
1: save your mom. You lost yep. your dad a year ago, you know, yep. two days, and you're know yep. you trying to save your mom, you're trying to have enough money to keep her in memory care, and you got people squatting there. I, I yep. just, I mean, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, I send prayers it, your
2: way because that well, is very, very difficult. I mean, like, it is. I mean, I just can't even believe that we're in this situation. I mean, but like I said, it all really goes back to the beginning, that you know, if he had been put into that hospital right, and there were more resources and more help for people like this, they wouldn't end. Most of them wouldn't end up in this position. You know what I mean? No,
1: I mean it's like, and and they need they need to have a resolution. There should be more right. choices, and they need to right. be honest because they never figured out, you know, why your dad fell. They never really right. linked it to. Right. The, you know, kidney, cancer, the kidney disease They never said that So, that and this is not the only case We've had several people right. lately On the show that have had Similar situations where they don't even find out What it is Why is it now that right. doctors all of a sudden Can't figure out what's wrong with people
2: I know it, I mean, it never made any sense to me And like you said, they work their entire Life to get to this Stage, and this is How they have to go out Right I mean right. this is this is just sickening.
1: It's just unfathomable. Well, they pay money in, it's a contract between you and the government. I know. I'm gonna give this money for Medicare. And yeah. you know some people I've even you know, talked to some people that their um loved ones put in long term care. Yeah. You know, they yeah. pay, and you pay a lot they pay for that. It. Oh, I know. You pay a lot for long-term care. And I know. hospice came in, you got a headache, we'll give you morphine. Yep. You know, put you in a hospital bed. They they tried to put yeah. my mom in a hospital bed, too. And yep. when you do that, you limit somebody's... Right. Desire right. to continue to live yep. Because now you're putting them in a bed It's like okay well your life is over yeah. We don't do that to people This is not right
2: Yeah
1: they, hospice will not pay for physical therapy Yeah that's right
2: Yeah I and know it, it's it,
1: crazy It's crazy it I mean, Well we there's got to be, be more choices When we talk about health care
0: yeah. We have to have more there options has to be. There We have to be. treat <laughs> our
1: people better
0: Than that's this right. And And you don't
1: decide they're a burden, and so we're just going to euthanize them. That's right. For our listeners who, you know, we've been talking about this tonight, and our entire intent and what Terry's trying to do is try to save one life at a time. So if you have a story that you want to tell, you can contact me at MarshaJoyner2018 at gmail.com or go to Marty Oakley's Block Talk Radio Show and contact me through that. But we have to be telling people, you have to be warned. You cannot just trust what you're being told because as you're hearing, they lie and they kill your loved ones with toxic drugs in a most horrible, painful, terrifying way, go to halovoice.org and you can see the drugs that we're talking about and you can see the effects of all those drugs and their horrible side effects, and they are not to be used on the elderly. But if you're in hospice, it doesn't matter because the intent right. is to end your life.
0: Yeah,
2: It's cruel. It is, it is, and I mean, and, and it made it even. Those drugs were even worse for him because of the kidney disease, which didn't allow him to process them. I mean, it made it even harder for him to process. I mean, right, not, and his age was against him to begin with, but the kidney disease was even worse.
1: Well, and with them, them doing the condom process. catheter, right? They created yeah. more issues, yeah. and they yeah. will come in and look at the. Um, I don't know what the bag is called, where the urine goes into. But they come in and they look at that and they look to see if there's less and less urine because then they know that the less urine that you're processing, the more likely that your kidneys are shutting down. So they can start to calculate how much time you have left and when you're going to die. And we as the loved ones have no clue that that's what they're doing. So get your loved ones out, take them to the hospital, don't listen to what they say, don't put them in the hospice in the first place,
2: um, mm-hmm. do your well, like research. You, like you said, I mean, like you said, I mean, unless they're, they, you know, in horrendous pain and actively, you know, like you said in the beginning. To minimize.
0: I mean, but
2: definitely, yeah, do your research because, I mean, yeah, it's, if I wouldn't know what I know now, you know, it's, Could have been completely different
1: Right all of us could say That it would have been different Had we known what we know today So
2: exactly
1: that's why We talk about it Um, Terry thank you so much for um, Contacting Reaching out and letting People know and as you Know you've heard me say this is not the End you know we're still going to stay in Contact and talk and you Know if you you need to talk and keep me up to date on your mom
2: oh of course of course definitely so, thank you so much for letting the me the
1: squatters story. the squatters are out
2: i know well they're out, out but and for how yeah. long will hopefully they'll stay out, out. so like i said if one good thing can come out of this story is to help someone else from not having to go through this hell.
1: right exactly
2: yeah so yeah
1: thank you so much for coming tonight and to our listeners thank you for listening and Marty, as always, thank you for hosting our programs and letting us be real and not sugarcoat anything. Good night, everyone. We'll see you back in two weeks. Good night, Terry.
2: Thank you. Good night. Thank you.